Shalom. Thank you for listening to this week's message from Emmaus Road Fellowship, where we encounter Yeshua in the scriptures. Check out our website at walkingemmausroad.org, where you'll find additional teachings and information on visiting us in Kingwood, Texas. If you've been blessed by this ministry, please consider giving to support Emmaus Road's mission of spreading the good news of the kingdom. May God grant you shalom in the name of Yeshua, our Messiah. Amen. So this week, our portion is Vayashev, and we begin the story of Joseph's life. So this is always a favorite, well, you know, there's so many favorite parts of the Bible. <laughs> we could probably say it most every week, right? But the story of Joseph is just an incredible testimony of the faithfulness of God. And uh, right before I put down my notes before this, I started to write dark to light at the top of it, and then Rick comes up and prays dark to light, funny enough. <laughs> but it's, it's the idea of within this, the story of Joseph's life, you have someone who was in high position who was then taken low into very dark places to the point where from the outside looking in, you would say there was no hope, yet hope remained within him. Right? And he was raised up and he was set on high such that he might be salvation unto Egypt and to his brothers. Right? There, I summed up the story of Joseph. We don't have to come back for the next three weeks. No, <laughs> no but, um, but that's essentially the story, right, in, in a nutshell, which is, of course, an incredible picture of our Savior Yeshua who though he existed in the form of God, did not consider equality with God something to be, to be grasped, but he emptied himself and he humbled himself even to the point of death on the cross such that he might become salvation to all who believe, right? And so he went from high down to low and then even from a low spot of, of taking on humanity, he then gave himself over to death, right? But then he was raised up. And he is our hope. And so within this, within so many stories that we see of exile and redemption, and in the life of Joseph, we see cycles. We see, and, you know, we've spoken many times about how the moon is a, is a picture of the nation of Israel. How it waxes up to fullness and then it wanes, but then it comes anew again, right? And actually, we're going to talk about Rosh Hodesh. Uh, so, Jared, if I end up saying what you intended to say, I apologize. Well, you've already said dark to light, so. <laughs> there we go. All right. Good. Well, I'll, I'll try to get the rest of it before, before we call you up here. <laughs> but uh, but it's, it's really, it is key through all the cycles, through all the ups and downs, to keep our eyes fixed on who God is, who he has shown himself to be, who he's promised that he will be. And not to lose hope, right? That's one of the key things within Joseph's life is that he did not lose hope. He maintained his identity through the entire time, through betrayal, through hardship, in success. It didn't matter. He walked in righteousness. He clung to God and trusted in him through all of it. Joseph couldn't have done all the things that happened on his own strength or his own power. He had to have God. There was no other way. But he did have a part to play in it. And just like we were talking about before, if we remain silent, the rocks will cry out. Right? We have a part to play. May we declare the glory of God and his beauty as we walk. And as we walk, we keep our eyes fixed on him and allow him to do the miraculous through us. You think about Peter when he stepped out on the boat in the water, right? So he and the other disciples were in the boat, and they see Yeshua walking on the water. And Peter says, Master, if it's, if it's you, command me to come to you. And so he said, all right, come. And so he steps out on the water in the midst of the storm, and Peter is walking on the water. <laughs> That's not because he was able to walk on water, <laughs> right? And so as long as he kept his eyes on Yeshua, he continued to stay afloat, walking on the water. But it's when he took his eyes off 
of Yeshua and looked at the wind and the waves, that he began to sink. But even from that point of failure, when he's sinking, he cries out, and Yeshua lifts him out, right? So within it all, we keep our eyes focused on Yeshua. We keep our hope placed in the God who we've seen time and time again come through and overcome insurmountable odds, right? So that's, that's where we find ourselves when we start the, the story of Joseph, too. So let's go to Genesis 37, verse 1. Now Jacob lived in the land where his father had sojourned, in the land of Canaan. These are the records of the generations of Jacob. Joseph, when, when 17 years of age, was pasturing the flock with his brothers while he was still a youth, along with the sons of Bilhah and the sons of Zilpha his father's wives. And Joseph brought back a bad report about them to their father. Now Israel loved Joseph more than all his sons because he was the son of his old age, and he made him a very colored tunic. His brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers, and so they hated him and could not speak to him on friendly terms. Then Joseph had a dream, and when he told it to his brothers, they hated him even more. He said to them, Please listen to this dream which I have had. For behold, we were binding sheaves in the field, and lo, my sheaf rose up and also stood erect. And behold, your sheaves gathered around and bowed down to my sheaf. Then his brothers said to him, Are you actually going to reign over us? Or are you really going to rule over us? So they hated him even more for his dreams and for his words. Now he had still another dream and related it to his brothers and said, Lo, I have had still another dream, and behold, the sun and the moon and eleven stars were bowing down to me. He related it to his father and to his brothers, and his father rebuked him and said to him, What is this dream that you have had? Shall I and your mother and your brothers actually come to bow ourselves down before you to the ground? His brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept the saying in mind. So here's Joseph. Joseph was in a, in a pretty good spot, right? He was the favorite son of, of Jacob. He had received a special garment. God was speaking to Joseph in dreams and telling him of his destiny and the, the purposes that God had for him. And so Joseph was, was walking in that. But there was a problem with the way that he was walking in that. He wasn't walking in humility. He, he was not walking in humility. And this was a key that he had to actually, he had to learn humility in order to fulfill God's plan that was going to be worked through him. Now, so then we're, throughout this, uh, this week's portion, we see a, a few stories about the humbling of Joseph and what it took for him to become humble. Now, when we talk about humility, Okay, we're, we don't, we're not talking about uh, becoming weak or easily pushed around. We're not talking about denying, say, special abilities or skills, right? Or denying that we have a part to play, a contribution, some accomplishment within things that take place. And we also don't deny calling and purpose. Because so many times we think humility has to be, oh, I'm but a worm and... That means you have to really be lowly and, and kicked around. Well, that's, hum, that's, that's not humility, right? Um, hum, humility actually comes from a place of knowing what you've been given, but knowing also whom you rely on to be able to walk out what you've been called to do. It's not being prideful or arrogant with regarding, to, with, with regarding those things or considering yourself as better or higher than those around you. It's, uh, it's really being among your brothers, right? And seeing yourself as no greater than the other. But yet, recognizing that you still do have gifts, talents that can be used, and recognizing those gifts or other gifts in other people as well and calling them forth. It's okay to be good at something. But then within it, we come at it with an attitude of saying, this is a gift, now let me use it under God's glory and let God work through that gift to empower me to do 
what he's called me, us to do, right? And so, because, you know, like I said, Joseph had it. He had favor. He had a calling. But, uh, but he wasn't walking it out in the way that would actually bring forth fruit in keeping with the calling that he had. Okay, so within, within the walk of, of humility, there's thankfulness for the good, goodness and kindness that God's given to us, that he's shown us, and then that allows us to walk in confidence and, and to boldly go and do what God has called, giving him the glory all the way and fully trusting in his ability to provide all along the way. So this is important, not just for Joseph, right? But it's important for all the body of believers in our interactions with one another and in the ways that we walk faithfully. It affects not only leaders, but those who follow as well, not only wives, but husbands, not only our children, but parents, right? It really goes into every arena. So we have to learn to walk in godly humility. And, through, and we learn this through our experiences. We, we learn it through wisdom given by the Lord. So Yeshua also, the scriptures say, he learned obedience. Right? In Hebrews 5, 8 through 10. The scriptures say, Although he was a son, he learned obedience from the things which he suffered. And having been made perfect, he became to all those who obey him the source of eternal salvation, being designated by God as a high priest according to the order of Melchizedek. Right? So he learned obedience. And in that, he was walking out true humility. Right? In the midst of his great identity and call and mission and purpose he loved so well both his love towards the father and his love towards his fellow man he became the the perfect servant and the perfect example of how we we too are to be okay so let's go forward and and we'll read some of trials that joseph had as he, uh, well, actually the beginning of his trials in Genesis 37. Starting in verse 18, when they saw him from a distance and before he came close to them, speaking of his brothers, they plotted against him to put him to death. They said to one another, here comes this dreamer. Now then, come and let us kill him and throw him into one of the pits. And we will say a wild beast devoured him. Then let us see what will become of his dreams. But Reuben heard this and rescued him out of their hands and said, Let us not take his life. Reuben further said to them, Shed no blood. Throw him into this pit that is in the wilderness, but do not lay hands on him, that he might rescue him out of their hands to restore him to to his father. So it came about when Joseph reached his brothers that they stripped Joseph of his tunic, the very colored tunic that was on him, and they took him and threw him into the pit. Now the pit was empty without any water in it. Then they sat down to eat a meal. And as they raised their eyes and looked, behold, a caravan of Ishmaelites was coming from Gilead with their camels bearing aromatic gum and balm and myrrh on their way to bring them down to Egypt. Judah said to his brothers, what profit is it for us to kill our brother and cover up his blood? Come and let us sell him to the Ishmaelites and not lay our hands on him, for he is our brother, our own flesh. And his brothers listened to him. Then some Midianite traders passed by, so they pulled him up and lifted Joseph out of the pit and sold him to the Ishmaelites for 20 shekels of silver. Thus they brought Joseph into Egypt. Now Reuben returned to the pit, and behold, Joseph was not in the pit, so he tore his garments. He returned to his brothers and said, The boy is not there. As for me, where am I to go? All right, so we see here that Joseph... Joseph was betrayed by his brothers, thrown into the pit. They considered at one point killing him. But uh, wise counsel or wiser counsel prevailed and they did not kill him. But rather he was sold as a slave to the Ishmaelites as they were headed down to Egypt. So um, now within this, 
you know, this was the first of the trials that he, that he faced. And according to a, a Midrash of Genesis 37, 20, it says, the scripture says, then we will see what will become of his dreams. But the Midrash says, God's response was, you say, let us slay him. But I say, we will see whose plans will prevail, yours or mine. Right? So this goes to the, the story that we'll read about in a couple of weeks where Joseph says to his brothers, what you intended for evil, God intended for good. Right? Because God was able to take these wicked actions by his brothers and take that which was pure darkness and turn it around and use it for good. So even though the plan of the enemy was to, to slay Joseph and to destroy that seed, God's intentions and plans prevailed over those to bring forth hope and light and blessing unto the children of Israel such that God's plans and purposes will be, would be fulfilled and not thwarted, right? So again, just as we talked about a little bit earlier, it comes back to God's sovereignty and his ability and his power to change the course of events and the course of history to bring it into alignment with his good plans. Now within through all of this, or within all of this, and not just this story, but many others as well, there are many blessings that come through difficulty, right? The road isn't always easy or smooth that we walk on, but the difficulties and challenges bring forth the humility that we were speaking of. Because as we go and we walk, we find that we aren't sufficient in our own our plans, our purposes, the way that we think things should play out isn't always the way that it will play out, Amen. right? And in the midst of that, we have to find strength and we have to walk in confidence and say, okay, well, Lord, I'm going to, I'm going to place this in your hands. And so, so within this, again, we'll see that Joseph's suffering produces humility, it creates perseverance in him, and gives him the opportunity to bless God through his own faithfulness and trust in God, and to see God pour out blessings upon him. Now, through the rest of the portion, we won't go and read these passages, but in Genesis 39, we, we find many more challenges for Joseph. We find that he was sold into Potiphar's house, Right, And when he was in Potiphar's house, God caused him to prosper. Actually, we will read that. It's on the screen. So now Joseph had been, had been taken down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an Egyptian officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the bodyguard, bought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him down there. The Lord was with Joseph, so he became a successful man. I think that we just need to stop right there at that verse. Okay? The Lord was with Joseph, so he became a successful man. All right. Here's Joseph, a Hebrew, detestable to the Egyptians, and now a slave. How is he going to prosper except that God was with him? Right? So he became a successful man, and he was in the house of his master, the Egyptian. Now his master saw that the Lord was with him, and how the Lord caused all that he did to prosper in his hand. So Joseph found favor in his sight and became his personal servant. And he made him overseer of his house, and all that he owned he put in his charge. It came about that from the time he made him overseer in his house and over all that he owned, the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house on account of Joseph. Thus the Lord's blessing was upon all that he owned in the house and in the field. So he left everything he owned in Joseph's charge, and with him, with him there he did not concern himself with anything, anything except the food which he ate. Now Joseph was handsome in form and appearance, and then that moves us forward into a, a test that Joseph had to face with Potiphar's wife seeking to seduce him. Right? And in the midst of this, Joseph would not transget transgress the Lord. He would not sin. He would not give himself over. And so he remained faithful to God and to his master Potiphar. Despite his faithfulness, he was wrongly accused and thrown into prison. 
So Joseph's thrown into prison as a result of the false accusations. And once again, <laughs> once again, he faced trial. And in Genesis 39, 21 to 23, jo- Joseph prospered even in prison. But the Lord was with Joseph and extended kindness to him and gave him favor in the sight of the chief jailer. The chief jailer committed to Joseph's charge all the prisoners who were in the jail so that whatever was done there, he was responsible for it. The chief jailer did not supervise supervise anything under Joseph's charge because the Lord was with him. And whatever he did, the Lord made prosper. You know, in both stories, Joseph was found so trustworthy that the master didn't even oversee what he was doing. He just said, take it and run with it. I know it's good. And within that, he had a freedom here to then interact with the cupbearer and the, uh, I, don't remember, I can't remember the name, the, the guy who did the bread. The baker. The, the baker, thank you. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Where are my notes? No. <laughs> Yeah, the cupbearer and the baker. Thank you. I was like, bread, something, baskets on his head. But he's a baker. Yes, there we go. And uh, so, you know, so then he's in the prison, and he's interacting with them, and once again, dreams come back into the story. Both the cupbearer and the baker have dreams, and Joseph says, well, don't all interpretations belong to the Lord? And he's able to give, through God's wisdom, correct interpretation of the dreams. And what he says to the cupbearer, he says, "Now, when you're brought up out of here and you're restored to your place, you remember me. Right? But in Genesis 40, 23, the scripture is plain and simple. The chief cupbearer did not remember Joseph, but forgot him. Man. Can, can he catch another break? You know, now God was with him throughout all of this, right? But he was with God as well, right? Because he remembered who God was. And he was, he was able to trust in God and to be faithful and to walk in righteousness no matter what conditions he found himself in. Whether he was in the caravan with the Ishmaelites, whether he was in Potiphar's house in a place of high position, whether he was reduced to prison. When he went to prison, he didn't immediately become over the prison, right? Even as a prisoner, he was faithful, and the light of God shined through him in the dark place, right? And because he walked in faithfulness, he was promoted. He walked in faithfulness, and God promoted him and brought him into a position that would then eventually bring him before Pharaoh. Now, it took a little bit of time, a little bit of time, but yet God was orchestrating things behind the scenes. And it really was. He was going lower and lower. He started out in a pit, but he was still with his brothers. And then he was sold as a slave. And then he went into a prison, right? But yet there was still hope. So, you know, as, as, uh, as Rick prayed before the service, that the body of believers is headed to a t- time of trial. And, you know, the, the decision yesterday by the Supreme Court doesn't really change the fact that we were headed to a time of trial. It does change some of the nature of what the trials may be that we face, maybe, Right? Still, there's still hope, right? But there, the thing is that no matter what lies ahead, no matter what waves come or wind blows, our focus is to continue to be on Yeshua, continue to be on God's word, to continue to be on his righteousness, and to be light in the midst of darkness. And then what we do, we walk in that faithfulness and we allow God to promote us when the time is right. We allow God to come and bring forth the change that brings forth salvation in his timing. Right? We don't know the path, the exact path of how things will go, but we do know God's faithfulness. We do know his righteousness. We do know his might and his power. So as we go along, 
you know, it's, it's in our human nature to desire to live peaceably, right? I mean, I think we all want that. And that's, that's, there's no conflict with that desire with the scripture, okay? Because, you know, we note that Paul in 1 Timothy 2 tells us to, to pray that we might live peaceably. So let's, let's go to 1 Timothy 2, 1 through 4. Here we go. First of all, then I urge that entreaties and prayers, petitions and thanksgivings be made on behalf of all men for kings and all who are in authority. Now, what he didn't say here is whether we like them or not, but that, that, that should go there, right? We should pray for kings and all who are in authority so that we may lead a tranquil and quiet life in all godliness and dignity, right? In the midst of that, a tranquil life does not mean then we just live however we want because we're blessed. We live in all godliness and dignity, whether in good times or in bad. And this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. And then in verse 8, Paul encourages and says, Therefore I want men in every, every place to pray, lifting up holy hands without wrath and dissension. So, you know, he's calling for for us to desire to live peaceably, to pray that that may happen, and then within it all to live uprightly. Okay. Now, Rashi makes a comment and says, Though the righteous seek tranquility, the Holy One, blessed is He, says, Are the righteous not satisfied with what awaits in the world to come, that they expect to live at ease in this world too? It's a good, it's a good question, right? because it's not all about living at ease in this world, right? And it doesn't mean, the, the, the question doesn't mean that the righteous can't have tranquility, right? That they can't live in peace, but it does mean that there's a time when the righteous should expect that they won't have tranquility and they will be required to stand fast and firm and to move forward in carrying out the mission that they've been called to carry out. Because when you're set out on a mission for God, it's not like the enemy just steps out of the way and says, oh, yeah, here you go, right? God called you to do that? Well, surely, go ahead. No, there's opposition that we're going to face along the way, whether it's as a nation, whether it's as a community, whether it's as an individual, right? And so within it, we will face challenges, but, there's, but part of the challenge is, is overcoming them such that we might move forward and preparing the way for the future of whatever it is that God's laid before us or before our children, right? Because it's not even just all about us. This is from generation to generation, right? Some of the battles and challenges that we face today, we may not see the fruit of, but we're doing it for our offspring, right? So that we can pass on what God has given that's why when we say the Shema every day, we talk about how we are to teach this diligently to our children. When we sit at home, when we walk on the road, when we lie down, when we arise, right? We talk about God's Torah, we talk about His righteousness and His goodness, and we talk about His miracles. Because we have to remember His victories. We have to declare with boldness his goodness and his faithfulness throughout the ages and to believe that what he's done before, he'll do again. And so right now we're in in the time of Hanukkah. So it's like we have two great things here. We have the story of Hanukkah and we have the story of Joseph. We could talk about these things for weeks, but luckily for you, we won't this morning. Um, But... So we have a call, we have challenges. The challenges pave the way for miraculous deliverances. But that doesn't mean that we pray for the challenges, right? When the children of Israel were being led out of Egypt, they didn't say, hey, that spot right there by the sea looks totally indefensible. Let's go sit there. <laughs> and <laughs> no, God told them to go there, right? Because God said, you know what? No, I want you there because I'm going to reveal 
my power and might to you and to the Egyptians. Right, so they weren't praying for challenges, but rather they were obedient and went to a place that God set them up for a great victory. Okay, so, so instead, you know, we pray for peace, but then we walk faithfully in the midst of whatever comes. And that's really where, um, where the Maccabees may have found themselves, right? Because within the story of Hanukkah, um, just doing a quick check on the time here. Um, within the story of Hanukkah, King Antiochus had wanted to make one law for all the nations and to have all the nations turn from their practices and from their gods to take on his gods. Within it, King Antiochus was not set on killing all the Jews. He was set on obliterating their identity and removing the Torah and the worship of God. That's what he was set on. That's what he wanted to destroy, was the identity that would bring forth the promises. Because if the Jewish people would all forsake God and turn from Torah and live just as the rest of the nations, then get, could God work through them to bring forth his promises and his purposes? No, he needed a people who would stand fast and hold firm to him and walk in righteousness and, and then see the salvation of God. So we know the story of how Antiochus came in and he attacked the people. He plundered the temple. He set up the abomination of desolation in the temple and began to sacrifice swine on the altar. And, and caused so many in Israel to stray from the commandments. Because many did say, okay, well, we'll get along to go along and we'll turn away from the commandment and we'll walk according to his ways so that we can keep peace. That's not peace. That's not peace. It may be easier in the short run, but it's not easy in the long run. And we, we don't look solely to the short term, we look to the long term. And we allow God to move in us through that. So now, we know the story. Um, in the town of Modin, Matityahu and his ch was a priest there, and he had his five sons. Okay, I do know the story. <laughs> I knew I'd get some help anyway if, I, if I'd gotten it wrong, so that'd be good. But I, I do want to go read a little bit from... First Maccabees 2 in verse 15. So quick. All right, so the king's officers who were enforcing the apostasy came to the town of Modin to make them offer sacrifice. Many from Israel came to them, and Mattathias and his sons were assembled. Then the king's officers spoke to Mattathias as follows, You are a leader, honored and great in this town, and supported by sons and brothers. Now be the first to come and do what the king commands, as all the Gentiles and the people of Judah and those that are left in Jerusalem have done. Then you and your sons will be numbered among the friends of the king, and you and your sons will be honored with silver and gold and many gifts. One thing to stop at, notice what they said. Be the first to come. Look, you'll have honor. And all the Gentiles and the people of Judah and those that are in Jerusalem have already done it. There's nobody left. You're all alone. It's futile. Go ahead and do this, and you'll be a friend of the king. Do you see that? There was the attempt to destroy the hope and the resolve that Maridiahu had, right? And the promise of great prosperity. I mean, great gifts of this world. But Mattathias answered and said in a loud voice, Even if all the nations that live under the rule of the king obey him and have chosen to obey his commandments, every one of them abandoning, abandoning the religion of their ancestors, I and my sons and my brothers will continue to live by the covenant of our ancestors. 
Far be it from us to desert the law and the ordinances. We will not obey the king's words by turning aside from our religion to the right hand or to the left. When he had finished speaking these words, a Jew came forward in the sight of all to offer sacrifice on the altar in Modin, according to the king's command. When Mattathias saw it, he burned with zeal and his heart was stirred. He gave vent to righteous anger. He ran and killed him on the altar. At the same time, he killed the king's officer who was forcing them to sacrifice, and he tore down the altar. Thus he burned with zeal for the Torah, just as Phinehas did against Zimri, son of Salu. Then Maritiahu cried out in the town with a loud voice, saying, Let everyone who is zealous for the Torah and supports the covenant come out with me. Then he and his sons fled to the hills and left all that they had in the town. At that time, many who were seeking righteousness and justice went down to the wilderness to live there, they, their sons, their wives, and their livestock, because troubles pressed heavily upon them. So Maridiyahu didn't give up, and he did not bend, even though it might have looked hopeless. He said... <laughs> You know the songs at Hanukkah, I love them so much. It's like there's this one part like, we are not going to betray our God. We are not going to betray our God. And it's like, that's what he's saying. We are not going to betray our God. And we will stand for his righteousness even in the midst of insurmountable odds. I mean, here's the Greek army versus a few. Well, I mean, I don't really remember how many people were in. But at that point, it's like, I know I've got myself and my sons. Who else is with me? You know, there's a, there's a quote that's one man with courage makes a majority. But it takes that one to stand. If that one does not stand, the majority does not follow. So it takes those who will be bold and courageous, who will not fear, who will stand for righteousness. And that's what we're called to do. We're called to stand for righteousness and to walk in it. And then we see that through this small group of people who hold fast to God and his faithfulness and his Torah, God gives a great deliverance to against larger and larger army that is sent against them to destroy them. In, uh, in 1 Maccabees 2, 45 through 48. This is the time when they were getting back to the point of bringing restoration in Israel. It says, And Mattathias and his friends went around and tore down the altars. They forcibly circumcised all the uncircumcised boys that they found within the borders of Israel. They hunted down the arrogant, and the, and the work prospered in their hands. They rescued the Torah out of the hands of the Gentiles and kings, and they never let the sinner gain the upper hand. Hmm. They never let the sinner gain the upper hand, right? Now, within the battles that they faced, Judah continually encouraged the people who were with him, saying to, not to fear, but to trust in the great power of God. And... Even Mattathias, before he passed away, called his sons and told them to be strong. And he called to mind all of the faithful people who had walked in Israel and how God had brought deliverance. It's kind of like the a version of Hebrews 11. Isn't that right? Hebrews 11 with the hall of fame of faith. And, and so we find ourselves needing to recall God's great victories needing to remember his goodness and how he worked through the faith of others, especially as we face trial in this time. And within all this, within Joseph's life, within the Maccabees, within so many who had been faithful throughout time, they maintained hope. They maintained hope. And even when you face trial, you have to ask the question, what if this trial that we think will be the death of us is actually the thing that we need? What if it's the very thing that will bring about the salvation that we're looking for? 
right? Because if God's ways are higher than us, higher than ours, and his thoughts are, are higher than ours as well, greater than ours, then we have to submit to his wisdom and his knowledge, his understanding, and say, okay, Lord, I may not understand, but I will go and walk with you. And that's one thing that the Jewish people have held on to throughout the ages is the confidence that God will send the Messiah. That's what the, the, the Christian church, too, has held confidence in, that Yeshua is returning, right? That no matter what we face, God is with us. And we who keep our eyes fixed on him and walk faithfully with him will find success. And we will find strength and renewal in him and through him. It's like what we talked about a little bit earlier about the Midrash, where God responds to the, then we will see what becomes of his dreams. And God says, you say, let us slay him. But I say, we will see whose plan will prevail, yours or mine. Let's see whose plan will prevail that which is of the dark or that which is of the light. And so in time, God will take that which we face and bring it about for good. You know, we talked about Joseph descending down into the pit, into the prison, but then he was raised up suddenly out of the prison as we will read about next week. We see the same picture of Yeshua after his death. He's laid in the tomb. But on the third day, suddenly he was raised out of that unto, unto life. And often when we talk about that story, I like to point to the, the idea of, well, what were the disciples going through? What were they thinking in that time, in that hour of darkness? Their hope was shattered. They didn't see a, a way out. They didn't remember that Yeshua said that on the third day he would rise. But he did, right? And those who had eyes to see received him, right? And so no matter, what the, no matter what the time looks like, we keep our eyes on him and we know that he remains with us. He is our strength. He is our song. And Aaron Eby, one of the teachers at First Fruits of Zion, says that our task is to dispel darkness and to shine a light. However, one must not think that the presence of darkness in any way indicates failure or weakness on the part of our almighty creator. Rather, it is the darkness that gives our light context and purpose. Amen. Yeah. Because the light does overcome the darkness, but the light has to shine. And that's where we're called to go forth and to be that light so that others would see our good works and give glory to our Father in heaven. Because even the darkest night will come to an end, just as next week we'll see a shift, as I said, when Joseph is raised up. There's always a shift. We just need to keep our eyes open and looking for it and trusting in God to bring it. Amen. Um, now, uh, I'm going to call Jared up in just a moment. But did anybody have anything that you wanted to, to say before we go to the teaching on Kislev? Tibet. Tibet? We're in Kislev. Uh, <laughs> but we are coming up on Tibet uh, very shortly. Anyone? All right. So we are coming up on the month of Tibet. So that starts on next week, Tuesday night, the uh, 15th of December. Uh, Tibet is the 10th month of months, and it is the fourth month on the civil calendar. So the meaning of Tibet is good. It comes from the Hebrew word tav, and more specifically, if you really dig down into it, it means a good eye. Um, and so and a good eye is a Hebrew idiom that means to be generous. Um, so the blessing of Tibet of this month is the ability to see what we could not see before. Uh, and so something to keep in mind, sometimes when scales are removed from our eyes, we don't like what we see, uh, but it's always good because it allows us to respond in a way that God would have us to respond. So keep in mind this next month that God, and to pray that God will reveal things as we move from dark to light. I'm actually, that's the last thing I was going to say on this here. 
as we move from dark to light, as God starts to expose and to reveal certain things that we ask God and we're ready and our hearts are positioned to respond in a way that God, that would honor God and his kingdom and the purposes of, of him. Um, some of the areas of healing uh, that are usually focused on in the month of Tibet are anger, victimization, judgment, um, and some of the actions needed to apply to that is just to view things from God's perspective. Uh, and I started, I added another little tidbit here, um, some values or virtues in character development, as um, I was learned, uh, midot, I think is the name, is the Hebrew word. Uh, but, so some character development that is usually a focus during this month is righteous anger. So funny as you just talk about that. Righteous anger, and that comes from a lot of the areas of healing is like anger. So then it, it really focuses us to be, why am I angry? Why is this person, situation, scenario, season, why is it bringing out um, a sense of anger? And then, could it be a righteous anger? Could it be because you see injustice? You see things that aren't happening the way you know don't line up to the way what God is saying. Um, generosity, a good eye. So that is also um, a character development for this month. And gentleness. Uh, the spiritual warfare that is focused on this month is really to get rid of any influence that allows anger to alter your perception from what God is really trying to show you. So as he does reveal, as he does remove scales, it's an opportunity to remove that which is causing you to stray away from God. And really then in that void to add things that will push you towards and encourage you. Um, Notable dates in Tibet. Uh, so this year, um, Kislev has either 29 or 30 days. This year it has 29. So the first three days of Tibet will be the last three days of Hanukkah. It's like, man, we just started Hanukkah, and I'm talking about the end of it. Um, and so, and then on the 10th of Tibet, it is one of the fast days. It's one of the four fasts of Zechariah which commemorates the destruction of the temple. Uh, and we've talked about that, I think it's the uh, 4th, 5th, 7th, and 10th. Um, and that this year, that's actually on December 25th. Uh, and this day commemorates the start of the siege of Jerusalem by the Babylonian king Nebuchadnezzar. And it would eventually lead to the destruction of the temple two and a half years later on the 9th of Av, which is another fast day that is mentioned in Zechariah. Um, and so in, I'm gonna end it with this, it's like we begin Tibet by bringing Hanukkah to an end. The last two to three days of Hanukkah this year, it's the last three days of Hanukkah, will be the first three days of Tibet. And that is when the light of Hanukkah are at its brightest. Um, as we are doing now, when lighting candles every night, we are remembering the demonstration and power of God that is released when we act in faith during difficult situations. As the Maccabees of old, we will overcome insurmountable odds if we keep our ears and eyes on him and respond accordingly. Hanukkah is a great segue into a new month that starts to see the nights get shorter, the days get longer, and we start to move from dark to light. And so I want to end it with a prayer. So first, God, just remove any scales of our eyes. May we start to see the things that you want us to see. May we respond in a way that is in accordance to your will, your purpose, and your word. And God, may it be your will, Lord our God and God our fathers, that you renew a new month for us in your Lord Yeshua, the Messiah. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Jared. That was great. Um, I love how uh, the messages just get aligned. <laughs> Praise God. Um, he does that so often just because the Lord has something on his heart. He wants to share it with his people. May we just be vessels that are faithful to, to share what he's giving to us right? Because we all need that encouragement. And, and I love it. Okay, so we're starting a, a new month, right? 
the day's getting longer, the moon is waxing to fullness, there's a new beginning and new hope. And that's the thing, every day is a new beginning and a, and a chance to start afresh, right? Weeping may last for a night, but a shout of joy comes in the morning, right? It is true. <laughs> Okay, let's pray. Lord, we love you. We bless you and thank you for your goodness, your kindness. We thank you, Lord, that you are our anchor in the storm. We thank you that we can look to you and trust in you. And Lord, we lift up our leaders to you today, Lord. Lord, we do pray that we can live peaceably. And in the midst of living peaceably, to live righteously, to have lights that shine brightly. Lord, we ask for increased revelation of who you are. Lord, we ask for hope to arise where, where hope has been lost. We ask for confidence in your goodness to be established in our hearts and firmly secured. We ask you to show us how to walk uprightly, how to walk in servitude and humility and in great love, Lord. We thank you for all these things. We glory in your name. We exalt you in the name of Yeshua. Amen. Thank you for joining us. If you enjoyed this message, please consider sharing it with a friend or family member and help us out by giving a review on iTunes or other podcast platform. Check out our website at walkingemmausroad.org for additional teachings and information about visiting Emmaus Road in Kingwood, Texas.